Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Hey there, I am Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. You can call me Andrea. Welcome to Talk About Talk, where we learn all sorts of helpful and interesting things about communication. This is episode 14 of Talk About Talk, the first episode of the second season. But who's counting? Well, I am. And I'm so glad to be back after our short hiatus. In this episode, to kick off season two, I'm going to introduce you to my brother Brian, the Talk About Talk sound producer. We will talk about sibling communication and share with you some research on birth order effects. When Talk About Talk was first launched in December, we had a blank slate. Now, we have a library of 13 episodes across all of the podcast platforms. We have a 5 out of 5 rating on Apple Podcasts. We have the weekly email blogs and a pretty fancy Talk About Talk website where all of this is available. So it's not a blank slate anymore, is it? But I am at least as excited. Season 2 will cover some amazing topics. Several of you have asked me how we come up with topic ideas. Do we ever run out of ideas? No! We actually have a really long list of great topics to cover in the future. Let me tell you about a few that are coming up in Season 2. We will cover what I consider to be some very helpful instructional topics that will help us become better communicators. I'm thinking about an upcoming episode on gift giving and another one on fonts and emojis. So much of what we communicate these days is typed, right? Well, of course the font matters. We're also going to cover some taboo topics, including guidelines for how to approach some sensitive topics like death and profanity. But we have lighthearted topics too, like communication through humor and through fashion. I just had the honor of interviewing the executive director of Toronto Fashion Week, and I loved every minute of it. I hope you will too. You may have seen on social media that I also interviewed Avi Goldfarb, the marketing professor, economist, and author of the best-selling book on artificial intelligence called Prediction Machines. I promise you that Avi will make you more optimistic about our future with artificial intelligence. If you listened to the most recent episode, you may recall that I mentioned my brother Brian. Well, I'm going to introduce him to you right now. We conducted this interview on April 10th, which is National Siblings Day. Yes, it was completely random that it happened to be on that day. It's definitely a thing, though, in case you didn't see it on social media. Don't be surprised when you hear Brian call me Andy. There are four people in my life who call me Andy, my parents and my two younger siblings, Brian and Allie. Brian is the youngest. He is six years younger than me. So as you're trying to guess how old we are, let me just say that we are both products of the 1970s. If you want to see pictures of us, they're all on the Talk About Talk website under the About tab. Brian is a recording engineer, producer, and operator. He's as comfortable in the production studio as he is running a restaurant or a live music venue. The concept of portfolio career fits him well. Brian's day job is at a national event ticketing firm where he's the director of operations. He also edits and mixes episodes of Talk About Talk. Similar to many siblings, when Brian and I are being totally honest with one another, there's definitely a level of competition between us. It's unique because of our differences in age, gender, and personality. But rest assured, our competitive nature serves as a positive motivating factor in the production of these podcasts, at least most of the time. Right, Brian? Uh, yeah, respect, absolutely. Um, agree with one another all the time, maybe not so much. True. Where are you, Brian? 
Uh, currently, I'm in Half Moon Lake, Alberta, in my cozy home, just east of Edmonton. I'm sitting in my basement. Uh, this is typically the space where I do all of my production work, although once in a while I do come out of my cave and uh, sit at our kitchen table. But I'm sitting in front of a couple of big KRK speakers with my trusty headphones beside me, and my laptop's out. And yeah, I spend a great deal of time down here, either working on my, quote, day job or doing a lot of the work here for Talk About Talk. You know what I think would be cool would be if you took a photo and we'll post it in the show notes so that the listeners can see where the editing and mixing happens for each of the podcast episodes. I'm actually curious as well. Okay, I will get my housekeeper on it. Um, His name's Brian, and he's going to clean up the basement before he takes the photo. (laughs) Excellent. As the producer and editor of the 13 podcasts that we've recorded and, and released so far, you are intimately familiar with the Talk About Talk material. And I was just wondering if you have any comments regarding season one. It's been a journey and a really good one. When we started off, I, I viewed it as an opportunity to, to support my big sister. It was viewed from my perspective anyway as a kind of the collision of our careers. And I'm really happy with the way it turned out. I've always been obsessed with communication and perspective and to be able to be a part of a production where we're doing the deep dive into how people affect one another through their ability to communicate uh, and to, quote, talk. It's very interesting. The, The content's interesting. I think we've had a lot of great guests as well. And then looking at what we're rolling into in season two, I think we're really just getting our feet under us. There's some some more taboo topics on the horizon, which I think is really important because I think it's it's important to speak to some of the more difficult topics. Yeah, I agree. I'm really excited about those as well. Can you share with the listeners maybe some insights or anecdotes or favorite moments from season one? There's a number of moments that have, have jumped out to me. I, I have the, <laughs> the privilege of being the person who gets to hear everything. There's some pretty hilarious moments. Uh, I've Multiple times had to put my coffee down to make sure that I didn't accidentally spit coffee across the keyboard. One of those moments that sticks out was the first time that I listened to the Cynthia Barlow interview. And when she starts really getting into it about Trump, it's just, it's amazing. I love how candid she is and how open she is about how she feels about him. And I've even seen since then some of uh, her social media posts, which are right in line. And she... She walks the talk, and she and she talks it too. Yeah. Um, the the Bradley Christensen moment was was one of our technical moments where you came to me and you're like, "This is going to be amazing." I got him to do I got him to do ten seconds, and I turned my speakers up appropriately. And thankfully, I turned it down slightly just before the moment that he started singing. But I just about got knocked over the back of my chair. It was still amazing. Like yeah. I just to, to hear him belt it out like that, I I loved it. Yeah, he's such a great guy, and he has such a fantastic voice. And I I said in episode thirteen, unfortunately, my recording equipment was not manufactured to record an opera. <laughs> and that's yeah. what I tried to do for ten seconds, but it's not so an funny. opera from five five feet away anywhere. Yeah, episode to episode, there's there's been highlights for me, absolutely. But I think the understanding is that we're riding a fine line between academia and every person connection and i think that we're progressing the right way in that direction where people learn something and they also feel truly connected to the communication information that you dr andrea are offering hold on let me do something here oh my (laughs) was that a zipper (laughs) 
<laughs> it's my hoodie. Let me lose the hoodie and I think Okay, we'll by fine. the way, that's a keeper. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I'd love it if down the road we could have a celebration end of the season dinner party where we would invite all of the interviewees from that particular season to a a nice dinner party where we all had the opportunity to sit down and we would record the communication that everyone had amongst themselves. I agree. I think that's a fantastic idea. I think we should make it happen. The, the dinner table is a, a bit of a foundational element in family communication where, you know, don't bring your phones to the table, turn off the television. We're all going to sit down. We're all going to talk to each other nicely. We're all going to talk about our day, whether we want to or not. Everyone sit together and be a nice family. That's true. And, I love throwing random facts in there. Thank you. You can call me Cliff Laban. <laughs> Where are you going with that? I thought you were going to start reminiscing. No, no. <clears throat> that was it. So now we're going to talk a little bit about our personal experience with, as well as some of the research that I've done on siblings, and specifically sibling birth order and sibling communication. There's all sorts of academic research that's been done on this topic, and I will put the links to the research that I found up in the show notes if you want to take a look at the website. Andy, I feel that uh, you and I, as producers of a podcast about communication, might be very well qualified to discuss this. Well, that's what I was thinking. I mean, we, we're going to be talking about the research, what the experts say, but you and I have some personal insights that will help illustrate the points that we're making here regarding the research, but also allow the listeners to get to know us a little bit better. So let's start by talking about birth order stereotypes. Do you know what they are, Brian, the stereotypes of the eldest, the middle and the youngest? I would suggest that perhaps the oldest would be bossy. What? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where I get that from. There's, I think a lot of unfair stereotypes about middle child where it's like the poor middle child. I think there's a lot of great middle children. We even have one in our family. Um, Allie, who we'll meet at some point here. And then the youngest sometimes can be spoiled, can be the black sheep of the family, can be unto themselves, typically uh, maybe going a little bit more against the grain than the other kids. So just to give people a little bit of insight into our family... I'm the oldest, and I have always worn the bossy older sister label. Not necessarily proudly so, but I have always worn that hat. And Brian and I have a middle sister between us, Allie. And for the record, we did the research on the middle born. You know, Brian was saying they talk about the middle child syndrome. She does not fulfill this stereotype at all. Apparently, people think that middle children are shy, envious, and less bold. But research shows, as I said, this is not the case. And our personal experience with our sister, Allie, also demonstrates that this is not the case. And you're going to hear as we go through some of the research on sibling, sibling rivalry, and birth order effects that there are a lot of stereotypes and myths out there, and the research does not necessarily back it up. Allie is absolutely the most social person in our family, And she's a great team player. The academic research does show that about middle children. They learn to negotiate. So they create their own identity and they learn negotiation skills and they learn to socialize um, and to be more social as part of their identity. And when I think about other families where there's a middle child, I, I think actually that is true, but that's not necessarily what the stereotype is. 
So research shows that middle children are actually social. They are great leaders, which I found interesting because that's the stereotype of the oldest child, right? They are trusting, they are collaborative, and they're innovative. And this one really blew me away. 52% of U.S. presidents are middle children. I thought that was the case for oldest children, but no, it's the middle children. And other impressive people, including Madonna, Bill Gates, Martin Luther King Jr., and many more are also middle children. So whatever stereotypes you have of middle child syndrome, the research has blown that out of the water. That's really interesting. Maybe that's because parents have a a particular way that they will instinctually deal with oldest children and youngest children, and the middle children are somehow separate from that and therefore uh, get a more moderate, medium upbringing. Well, there's another interesting piece of research that I just read saying that it depends on the economy that you're living in. So if you're in the first world, then some of these stereotypes may be more likely to be true because the first child gets a lot of attention paid to them. So they have higher expectations, they're read to more, etc. And then when it comes to the last child, the, you know, the joke is that there's no photographs taken of the youngest child because the parents are so busy. And some of those things may be true in the first world, in our economy. In other more subsistence economies, the relationship or the the correlations for the oldest and the youngest actually flip. And the oldest one, instead of having all this fabulous attention paid to them, they're actually expected to go out and work. And they end up being the ones that are less likely to read. They're less educated. They're less likely to be leaders because the parents actually had to lean on them to help make money for the family. So what about only children? Research is pretty clear that only children suffer absolutely no psychological or social deficit. And I was really relieved to hear this because I have some friends that have only children and I hear sometimes implicitly and sometimes even explicit comments about, oh, well, he's an only child. Well, that explains that. And in fact, the academic research shows that whatever negative stereotypes or psychological effects you associate with only children are not true. And cognitively, only children tend to be more advanced with stronger vocabularies, a more sophisticated sense of humor, and a better grasp on current events. So that could be because of the attention that they get, but there seem to be more benefits to being an only child. I have a, uh, a bit of a unique parenting situation. Um, I have, for all intents and purposes, two only children. Uh, I have a 25-year-old son, and I have a six-year-old son. Both of them have grown up uh, on their own. Uh, they love each other to the end of the earth, which is an amazing thing to experience and to observe. But both of them are very single-minded. While they share and they're, they're both empathetic, they both show a balance between the drive and the, the personal motivation, uh, as well as the ability to relate to people around them and to empathize. Uh. That's interesting. So, and I was going to say that the other stereotype that comes to mind, the positive one is that they're very independent and they both are. They're happy being, they're proactive, independent beings, right? But they're exactly. also social to your point. Yeah. Fascinating. Another fascinating thing that I read that I 
had heard before, but I was looking for citations just to prove it for our, our references, is that our beliefs about the stereotypes are exaggerated. And there's a couple of reasons why. The first reason why all of the stereotypes that we have in our mind about the firstborn, the middleborn, and the youngest children. So the research shows that birth order effects do matter within the family, but not outside of the family. In other words, the research that was done where they asked people about their own family members, the relationships and the personalities, may show birth order effects are significant. But when they ask people in general about different people's personalities, say that they work with or that they're friends with, all of a sudden these birth order effect personality traits are minimized. And I've heard anecdotally, and then I read recently in the research that when people come home as adults and they are in their nuclear family that they grew up in, they revert or regress to the teenage behaviors and stereotypes and personalities that they were growing up, even though that's not a part of their identity as an adult. And I I just find that absolutely fascinating, don't you? I could totally see that. I think there's something with how comfortable we are with our, with our family. Um, there's the family we choose versus the family that we're given. We're talking about the family that we're given and the, the people who know the most intimate details of our existence and who have been there for some of the most emotionally specific moments of our lives. And I think when relating the interpersonal communications that we have with people who can touch us as deeply as family members can. We may see those moments and those people with a slightly exaggerated personality. Frankly, a lot of these memories are when our minds and our emotions are being developed, when we're learning to regulate our emotions. And I think that has a big impact on the memory, the deepness of the memory as well. That's a very fair point. The other interesting insight that I just stumbled upon recently is the reason these stereotypes persist is because parents and even siblings that are in these relationships are considering themselves, but at different ages. So if you think about it, the stereotypes that are associated with older siblings, so the firstborn, are more mature, right? So leadership, because they're teaching their younger siblings, and whatever the more mature uh, stereotypes are. Whereas You even hear it that the last born is the baby of the family. So I heard a psychologist recently say the research would be more valid if parents videotaped their children at the same age and then compared the personality traits. So first, when I was 10 years old, if mom and dad had taken a video of me, and then when Allie was 10 years old, they had taken a video of her. And then when Brian's 10 years old, take a video of him and then talk about our personality traits. They might actually find that there's nothing to do with birth order effects. But when they think of us collectively, they're thinking about us sitting around the table. And what role was Andrea taking? Of course, she was more bossy. She was the oldest kid at the table, right? I think the difference is due to the fact that they've been influenced by their siblings. The firstborn was not influenced by anyone near their age. And it's, I think it's instinctual for a next child to look up, to be mentored to a degree, to, to, to learn from, I mean, to treat their older sibling as an instruction booklet uh, and one that the firstborn wouldn't have had. So they would have had to do a a deeper dive uh, into the various aspects of growing up, of learning to, go to the bathroom, I'm learning to tie their shoes, all these things that uh, the firstborn has to learn 
basically on their own, uh, they'll teach the younger ones. Right. Right. And then, and then for a social psychology researcher to go in and ask, Brian, what do you think about the personalities of your siblings? You're, you're in it. You can't answer that. Right. Versus, versus asking about somebody at work who you don't necessarily know that they're an older sibling and it actually doesn't matter in your relationship with them. So they therefore have totally different responses and the birth order effects suddenly go away. I think that's a real valid explanation for why there's so much inconsistency in the research. And how can you expect somebody who had to learn to do everything on their own, not to be a little bit bossy when they come out the other end of it? Oh, thanks, Brian. I can't believe I just gave you a pass on that. You did, and I'm going to hold that against you forevermore. <laughs> Great. This, this is not going the way I'd hoped. <laughs> okay, I have a totally different question for you. Have you heard of sibling ESP, and do you think it's a thing? I've heard it with respect to twins, not so much as siblings. Um, do I think it's a thing? That's a bit of a rabbit hole to go down. Probably not. But I raised my hand. Uh, we did pick a very specific day to do this interview, April 10th. And neither of us apparently had any idea that today is National Sibling Day. It so is? I might suggest that uh, somewhere in here uh, we may want to note that while we may not consider sibling ESP a thing, we did happen to randomly pick the one day out of the year that is National Sibling Day to record this interview. Are you joking? Are you no. I swear I had absolutely no idea. No, it's that it's a thing. It's today. Facebook told me so in memories. I but apparently after twenty sixteen we weren't celebrating anymore, so I'm not sure what happened between you and I in the last couple of years, but we didn't post anything nice about each other. <laughs> That's funny. I haven't checked social media today, but you know what? I am definitely going to post something and I can yes. tell everyone all about you. Oh, good. <laughs> so I, I was thinking about this sibling ESP thing, which I read a little bit about um, when I was doing the research and, and you know, the, the researchers say it is not a thing, but what is a thing is the fact that siblings have essentially a cradle to grave relationship. So we know each other better than anyone else on the planet, arguably. And the sibling bond has the distinction of being the most enduring and egalitarian connection of all family relationships. And frankly, of all fa- of any relationship whatsoever. So that's something to celebrate. Happy sibling I day. It, I think it is happy sibling day. Um, I think the way that you, not you, Dr. Andrea, but people in general uh, relate to their siblings can speak a lot to how much self-awareness they have and how much they accept who they are, because these are definitely some of the most intimately detailed relationships you can have. These are the people that know you better than anyone. These are the people who might have even changed your diapers. And they've seen you at your best. They've seen you at your worst. They've seen you strive and fail um and they've seen you succeed beyond expectation and your ability to relate to them over the long term i think has a a real it it shows how much you can accept yourself because they see you possibly better than anyone else i agree i and i you know when i read this cradle to grave thing i thought well that's kind of morbid but then actually it's just really cool right yes yeah 
I think it's about time for Andy and myself to discuss the specifics of our sibling relationship. Um, that sounds dicey. That, that's right, folks. It's Dr. Andrea's turn to answer the questions for us. I'm going to ask a question, Andy, and then you can ask me the same question back. Does that sound good? It does, but only if I get to choose the next question. Okay, deal. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Uh, what was your expectation of me when we started uh, Talk About Talk? Oh, I think that's a great question. And I alluded to this somewhat in the episode 13 wrap-up, the highlights and bloopers for season one. But I really, Brian, had no expectations whatsoever. I wish I had recorded the phone call where we were talking about this and you raised your hand and volunteered and said, this sounds really exciting. Why don't I write some music for the intro and the trailer? And I was like, wow, I was honestly thinking I was going to go online and find a musician to do this. And you raised your hand and I kept thinking, pinch me. This is perfect. This is absolutely perfect because I can be open and honest with him and he knows me. So to answer your question, I had absolutely no expectations at all, but I just want to add that you have absolutely blown me away and I am so thankful and grateful. And I hope you know that I do not take your participation in this pursuit for granted whatsoever. I value everything you say and everything you do. And I'm really impressed with the quality of what you're turning around. So I thank you. Oh, well, thanks, Andy. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm blushing now. Everyone, okay. can you see me, see me blushing over here? It's a good thing we're only audio for now. Anyway, yeah. so what was your expectation of me when you heard about this pursuit? It was very intriguing, and I expected you to flourish. My protective younger brother side came up quite quickly where I immediately recognized that there was an opportunity for me to support you along this path and uh, help you get through some of the initial early learnings along the way to getting comfortable as a host and as a producer of a podcast. The reason I said yes is because you're my big sister. I want this to work well. And I truly believe that uh, with you behind it, it'll work well. And with me behind it, we're guaranteed success. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. No pressure. But we're no going to do this. Yeah. So this is a, a related question. I, I get to ask the question now, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. okay. It's my turn. We're taking turns. Okay. Has our working together on this project affected or changed the way you think about me? No, not necessarily. It's been a, a blend between professional and personal because you're obviously you're my big sister. Um, so I see... And I'm, I'm aware of the perspective of my big sister versus the, you know, the host, the golden goose, the person running Dr. Andrea talk about talk. I've learned how adaptable you are. And I, frankly, I've been proud of, of how well you've filled the shoes that, uh, that are required for a host of a podcast. Um, as someone who's played in lots of bands in the past has been on quite a few stages in my time. I know what it feels like to be in front of a bunch of people. And I've really enjoyed watching you transition into a level of comfort that works really well uh, for hosting this. Oh, thank you. And by the way, I don't think anyone's ever called me adaptable ever. 
I'm going to edit that part out. Okay, because it makes me sound bad. Okay, self-deprecation is not a good thing. It's true, though. Nobody's ever called me adaptable. So how has Talk About Talk shaped your opinion of me? Ah, so this project actually has influenced my perception of you, Brian. It's not that I've changed my mind about you in any way, but I've learned things. And I would say the one thing that really sticks out in my mind is, how do I put this? Your hard work and your integrity. So sometimes, you know, I'll be firing transcripts with edits to you and I'll be like, how's he doing this? He has another full-time job. He's got commitments and never once have you even said, I need an extension on this or whatever. It's just, you get it done and you get it done well. And I, I think it's because you and I have actually never really worked on something together. We've never built something together. There's six years between us, right? So the things you wanted to build when you were growing up and the things that I wanted to build were different because of the six years between us. But now the six years doesn't really matter. And so working on this project with you provided me with an opportunity to see what a hard worker you are, how much integrity you ha- are. And um, I'm really proud of you. I'm going to start gushing. I'm going to stop gushing about you now. Let's get on to some better questions. (laughs) Well, I just, I want to put a bow around that because I think we're both motivated for the same goal, which might be quite contrary to when we were growing up and possibly fighting about things and potentially motivated in completely opposite directions. So the outcome was not quite as productive. Okay, Brian, next question. Describe me in three words. Driven? Genuine, unapologetic. Oof. You know what? As the older sister, I'm reading into those for the, for the little snipe from the little brother. But those, I think those are pretty true. Andrea, describe me in three words, please. The first word that I have to describe you is irreverent. I love this word. I think it's cool. I think irreverence is something to aspire to. I think it means that you're smart and you're confident. So irreverence is the first word that I would use to describe you. The second one is musician. And when I picture you in my mind and someone says, Brian, boom, the picture of you that I have, you're either mixing music, listening to music or creating music on a stage. So the second word is musician. The third word goes back to what I said, um, regarding a previous question that you asked me about how talk about talk has shaped my opinion of you. And I'm just really impressed with, and I keep thinking about your integrity and your hard work. So I guess that's kind of cheating because it's two words, but it's one, it's one idea. It's just the integrity and hard work that you have. So there you go. Cool. Thank you. Um, what's your favorite thing about me? Actually, that's an easy one. My favorite thing about you is the way that you treat your family, the way you are raising your son, the way you treat your wife, the way you talk about your wife, the way you interact with our parents, the way you interact with me and Allie. I think that the way you treat your family, and I don't mean that in a selfish way because you're nice to me, but the way I observe you also treating other family members is probably my favorite thing about you. I'm smiling. Thanks. (laughs) You should be. (laughs) What's your favorite thing about me? Your genuineness, which just 
really reinforces everything nicely just said about me because I know you meant it. <laughs> uh, you're really genuine and you speak your mind you speak your mind to your your family you speak your mind to everyone and i and i you know some that could seem to imply some negative uh perspective it it doesn't i mean that in in the most honest way um i think it's really important that people speak their mind and are are consistently able to communicate transparently with the people around them because all we do is waste one another's time if we're speaking in riddles. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I will agree with that. And Okay, your turn. Well, I got one more for you. Okay. Do you have time? I've got time. Uh, okay. Uh, would I choose to be gorgeous or filthy rich and successful or smart? Oof. Filthy rich and successful is together. Okay. I think it's definitely not the gorgeous one. Because I don't think you value that. It's not that you aren't gorgeous, Brian. It's just that I think you value ambition, hard work, and success. And you value intelligence. I think you might go with the filthy rich and successful because of the connection between hard work and the outcome. And if you attain that, then it would be evidence of your hard work. That's fair. To be completely honest, I would say I would go with smart because I think you can get the rest of those, at least in perception from other people, um, if you're smart Mm. about it. Um, And I'm just going to blow your mind with my answer about you. There's no reason for you to choose between any of these because you're smart, you're gorgeous. And uh, we're we're producing a podcast, so Filthy Rich and Successful might be a little bit of a reach right now. But yeah. I am confident that with our smartness, we can get there. Yeah, there's not a lot of money in podcasting. But, uh, well, if you'd asked me, I would definitely say the smart. But let me tell you why I know that about myself. Because when I have been most offended by people, so offended, in fact, that you know I've lost sleep over other people's perceptions of me, it's when they have implicitly communicated that they don't think I'm smart. That is the biggest diss for me. I think it's pretty evident for me anyway, that if I had to choose between the three, I would be smart. It's good. I like it. And I agree. Yeah. We're aligned. That was fun, Brian. I'd like to flip then to the rapid fire questions that you know, I ask Every single guest. Can I ask you them? Yes, you can. I want to ask you them too. Sure. First question. What are your pet peeves? Drivers around me that don't meet my expectation of what they should be doing. Maybe they're driving too slow or they're changing lanes without using their signal lights. Um, There's various words to describe this act. Uh, I I understand my part in, in the equation. Driving is the most random social interaction that we do every day and uh, we have the responsibility to respond appropriately and control our emotions so I I look at it as a challenge but I certainly do appreciate someone who's a great driver (laughs) the funny thing is you don't really notice the great drivers it's the bad drivers that you notice isn't it yeah it's true next question what type of learner are you I'm going to add something to our list and maybe you want to delete it for the next time, but uh, I'm going to say an experiential learner, which 
is likely mostly connected to kinesthetic. Um, but my moments around me dictate the best way for me to absorb new information. Uh, sometimes it's visual, sometimes it's auditory, and sometimes it's kinesthetic. Okay. So, so you're welcome. I didn't answer your question. <laughs> All of the above. I've heard sure. that from many there we go. guest experts as well. It, you know what? I heard it too. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> uh, question number three. Introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. It explains my trucker mouth. Question number four. Communication preference for personal conversations. What medium or channel do you use? Face-to-face is my absolute preference and understanding that that can't always happen. Um, I try to keep short and sweet with anything that is a text-based communication. Um, Phone calls are the next best thing to -to face-to-face when you have to talk about something that's important. Agree. I don't do that enough. Number five, podcast or blog or email newsletter that you find yourself recommending the most. Foothills Famous out of Calgary uh, by Jonathan Stoddard. It's uh, a local Calgary entertainment scene. Includes many of the best influencers in Calgary. Huh. I hadn't heard of it. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. All right, Andy, it's your turn for the first time. Drum roll, please, to answer the five rapid fire questions. What are your pet peeves? I have many pet peeves, actually, but the three that come to mind. Clutter. People who stand on sidewalks instead of walking on sidewalks, blocking other pedestrians. And the third one is drivers that do 180s or U-turns in the middle of a street. I have no problem with a car doing a U-turn legally at an intersection, but I don't know if it's a Toronto thing, but recently... It started with just taxis, and now everyone's doing it. They're pulling 180s in the middle of a road, and cars in both directions have to stop for them while they're doing this, and it drives me crazy. I just think it's selfish and it's unsafe. I have no problem envisioning you walking down Young Street and pushing past someone and saying, this is a sidewalk, not a side stand. (laughs) Something like that may have happened. I imagine it did. Uh, what type of learner are you? That's an easy one for me. I am definitely a visual learner. Visual stimulus has a huge impact on me, and I think of things visually in my mind, and I draw things, so definitely visual. Introvert or extrovert? I am definitely an extrovert. I love being around people. I love conversing with people. And many of the guest experts who answered this question said that they like being in small groups, but not large groups. And other ones said, I don't mind presenting to a thousand people, but I'm really an introvert at heart. My answer is I am an extrovert and I love one-on-one dialogues and I love big dinner parties. I love cocktail banter. I love being around people and I feel energized around people. Now, that said, sitting in front of my computer and doing research for half a day or even a day can also be energizing if I feel like I've accomplished something, but I really feel more energized following interaction with other people. I feel like the length of your answer yep. supports supports you being an extrovert. Yeah. <laughs> and that will be cut. I, I kept thinking of better ways to say it. So anyway, yeah. It's okay. Awesome. What is your communication preference for personal conversations? For me, text is 
the communication medium that I go to most often. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't know if the person has time right now to respond. I don't know if they're going to answer the phone. Uh, so I'm just going to text them and then they can respond to me at their convenience. And there's a lot wrong with that because you're missing the visual and the auditory cues that come with the telephone or face-to-face communication. So I think I need to step it up and depending on what the communication is with the other person, I think I should be trying to pick up the phone or get in front of their face more often. Last question. What's a podcast or blog or email newsletter that you recommend the most? Well, it depends on the context. I find myself recommending the various TED Talks. I found myself recommending the Portfolio Career Podcast, which is a podcast from one of my fellow podcasters named David Nabinsky. And he has this brilliant insight about how so many of us have portfolio careers where we're doing different things. And then I have a friend, Vanessa Bond, who has a brilliant blog about nutrition that I end up referencing and recommending to a lot of people. So I'll put um, the links to each of those in the show notes, as well as the one that you mentioned, Brian. Well, is that it, Andy? Are we done? I think, I think we're done. I'm so happy that we had this chance. It was actually more fun than I thought it was going to be. So thank you. And it's going to be really interesting to edit this because I know you and I are going to have different views about what should stay and what should go. But we have to remember, we have the same goal at the end of the day, right? We do. And I really appreciate the opportunity to step around from, to the other side of the speakers and actually speak with our listeners. Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to do it again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andy. Happy Siblings Day. Oh, happy, happy Siblings Day. Well, that was an experience. There you go. You met Brian, my baby brother, and the Talk About Talk sound production engineer. And you heard us mention our middle sibling, Allie. Allie, if you're listening, we really could use your help. That reminds me, as I was listening to the recording of Brian and me, it occurred to me, we owe a big thank you to our parents, Carol and Ray. Thanks, Mom and Dad. In this episode, we learned about sibling communication and birth order effects. There are two key learnings that I hope you keep in mind. First, in terms of birth order effects, some of them may be true. There certainly are patterns. The firstborn and smaller families scored higher on communication skills even after controlling for everything else, like their mother's age, socioeconomic status, etc. The eldest may also be bossy, yes, also the most ambitious and the most stressed. (sighs) Middle children, who sometimes do face a tough challenge of creating a unique identity, often end up being the most well-adjusted, good negotiators, and the most social. The youngest, the babies of the family, are often entertainers. Brian mentioned that they can be called the black sheep of the family, but they can also benefit from earlier exposure to things and learning from their older siblings. And only children, as you might imagine, benefit from the attention of their parents. Only children tend to be more advanced, with stronger vocabularies, a more sophisticated sense of humor, and a better grasp of current events. Of course, the ways parents treat their children and the ways siblings interact does affect us all to some extent. I was intrigued to learn that patterns in birth order effects can vary between different countries where, for example, the experiences of the firstborn could be highly beneficial in the first world, 
like, say, having parents who read to you from an early age, but detrimental in the third world, where the oldest child might be expected to quit school, get a job, and help provide for the family. Interesting. The second key learning is that birth order effects, while they do exist to some extent, are exaggerated. This is probably due to two main reasons. First, when the question of personality traits are asked within a family, they may appear. But when it comes to outside the family, say if you're asked about the personality of a colleague, the influence of or correlation with birth order effects seems to go away. The second reason these stereotypes persist is because siblings that are in the relationships are being evaluated at different ages relative to each other. The research would be more valid if parents videotaped their children at the same age and then compared the personality traits. So like I mentioned, if my parents had taken a video of each of us when we were 10 years old and talked about our personality traits then, the birth order effects may not have shown up. Whereas if they were asked to compare us at any one point in time, say when I was 10, when Allie was 9, and when Brian was 4, the sibling order effects probably would be evident. Make sense? I hope you learned a little bit here, and I hope you enjoyed getting to know Brian and me a little bit better. For the record, we did not pre-issue our answers to the questions we were asking each other at the end, so that was a really fun experience. I had no idea what he was going to say. You might want to ask your sibling or siblings some of these questions too. I put a link in the show notes to some websites that have other questions you might want to ask your sibling or siblings. Try it out. It can be fun. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. I know your time is valuable, and I am honored that you spent this time listening to Talk About Talk. I hope you will also sign up for the Talk About Talk weekly email blog. This is your opportunity to receive one concise weekly email from me full of content and highlighting what I think is worth talking about in the domain of communication. If you sign up now, I will send you an exclusive document with the Talk About Talk Season 1 episode summaries. These are the one-page cheat sheets that let you review everything we did in Season 1. My goal is to help us all become more effective communicators. That's it. Thanks again, and talk soon!